You're listening to the Party in My Plants podcast, and you're about to hear, appropriately timed for spring cleaning, you're welcome very much, how house cleaning's actually a sprint, not a marathon, nor a half marathon, or a 5K. It's a sprint, okay? Can we just leave it as that? Welcome to the Party in My Plants podcast, where I make healthy living as fun as a party, so you'll, you know, actually want to do it and then actually feel, look, and live your best. I'm your host, Talia Pollock. Now let's get this party started. This episode is enthusiastically sponsored by a product I couldn't swear by more if I tried. Four Sigmatic Mushrooms. I didn't say swear about more. I said swear by. I couldn't swear by the magic of mushrooms more if I tried. I originally tried a packet of Four Sigmatic Mushroom Tea in a glass of hot water because, well, I was gifted a free single packet of Four Sigmatic Mushroom Tea by a friend. I had no idea what it did or what was going to happen to me. And I was skeptical because this whole mushroom thing is trendy right now. And I'm always skeptical of trendy things. Read, I avoid trendy things to not be trendy. You know what I mean? But anyway, I drank the shrooms and I felt truly awesome. It's hard to explain. I just felt more awesome than before I drank it. Since then, I've ordered it and consumed about two packets of shrooms a day and I can't get enough. I am telling you, these mushrooms are magic. Although they don't make me hallucinate in a bathtub like my ex-boyfriend's famous magic mushroom experience, which honestly, he seemed way too proud of in hindsight. But hear this, I wasn't hallucinating the magical effects of these shrooms. They are ultra scientifically proven to boost immunity and gut health. Yes, please. And thank you. And the four different shrooms that Four Sigmatic uses most, hence the four in Four Sigmatic. Eh? I just got that too. Well, like three minutes ago. But they all do different epic things for your body. Rishi helps you relax. Cordyceps give you non-caffeinated energy for sports and stuff. Lion's mane, which does not come from my lion's mane, boosts your brain. That one's easy to remember. And chaga is, yeah, yeah, good for immunity issues like when you're traveling or feeling run down and or both. Okay, enough blabbering from me. I just finished a mushroom matcha latte. Oh, yeah, Four Sigmatic has mushroom matcha powder. If I could just stop blabbering for a damn second, I could tell you that because you listen to this podcast, thank you for that, you can save 15% off any and all Four Sigmatic shroom stuff you'll want to buy off their site, Four Sigmatic, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com using code PARTYINMYPLANTS to save that 15%, baby. Man, maybe I had way too much mushroom matcha. Okay, onward to the show. My guest today is what happens when a professional bossy person is also a messy person. Rachel Hoffman is the founder of, pardon my French, but get used to it because it's the name of her brand and we talk about it a lot, Unfuck Your Habitat. And she's the author of a book by the same name. Her thing is motivating regular peeps to get up, start cleaning, and get their lives in order because she really believes that our home should be somewhere where we're comfortable and enjoy being in. I believe that too. But I can't believe we had such a fun conversation about cleaning. Seriously, you're about to hear Rachel drop a ton of knowledge bombs that'll help your home look less like a bomb exploded in it. 
That's what my mom always used to say about my room growing up. Oh, and we get into mommy issues in this chat too. Fun. Rachel, hey, thank you so much for coming on the Party in My Plants podcast. I am psyched to talk about partying in our tidy habitats. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. This is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I love the tagline of Unfuck Your Habitat. You say it's terrifying motivation for lazy people with messy homes. That's actually, that was the first iteration of the tagline. You know, it's it's evolved somewhat in the, in the years since we've been around and, uh, so now I tend to use your better than your mess quite a lot, um, just because it's a little bit, uh, it's a little less mean. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> you're better than your mess. I love that. Well, tell me how this whole thing got started. How did Unfuck Your Habitat even come to be? Well, it was probably, I want to say 2011 is when it first kind of got going. And, um, you know, the the way it came about was I was spending time in a lot of online spaces and in the conversations that you have with people, there's a lot of, you know, oh, I should really be doing X, Y, and Z, but you know, you're, you're, you're not, you're online, you're chatting with people, you're hanging out, you know, you're on social media. And so it kind of became my thing to, you know, when somebody said, oh, I should be doing this, that, or the other is to kind of like yell at them until they did it. So, you know, like, okay, get up, get off your computer go do the thing that you need to go do and come back and do it. And, you know, I was, I was kind of doing that sort of informally. And then some people sort of said, you know, Hey, this would be a great resource for a broader audience. So then I started the Tumblr blog and, and Tumblr, I, I'm, I'm kind of old. I'm older than the demographic than that, that Tumblr is. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's a very sort of active visual type of social media and it skews a little bit younger. You know, there's a lot of college kids and even high school kids and things like that. So I, I started the blog there. And so as people were kind of scrolling through their their news feeds or their timelines, uh, their dashboards it is on Tumblr, okay. um, you know, a, a little reminder would pop up saying, you know, like in the mornings, it's make your bed. And at night, it's, you know, get your life together for tomorrow morning and throughout the day, um, would be okay, take five minutes and and go put 10 things away that aren't where they belong. So just sort of a way to interrupt people's, um, you know, when they weren't doing anything else, they weren't doing anything necessarily productive, just to kind of get a little bit of of that productivity. And then, you know, then you can go back to, to doing whatever you were doing before. Fascinating. First of all, Tumblr, that's fascinating. I've never been on Tumblr. <laughs> no idea how to use it. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a yeah. Lot for, for those of us who aren't sort of native to it, but I've gotten used to it over the years. I hope you have. You've been on it since when? 2012, <laughs> 2011? Yeah, something like well, that. Yeah. Yeah. And you're still doing it. It's still a thing. Mm-hmm. It is still a thing, <laughs> but it's it's expanded somewhat now where, you know, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and there is, you know, a, a freestanding website. And, and a book book. Uh, got, and a book book, which is, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, the book is great. I love it. I'm a little bit biased, but I think it's great. <laughs> you love the book that you wrote? Well done. <laughs> I love the book that I wrote. I think it's just super great. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So how did you personally like find your way into this land of helping people get their shit together and organize their lives and clean up their homes? Do you have a background in this? I actually don't. I have um, my background is primarily in, in retail and customer service uh, uh-huh. management. So, you know, there's a lot of the same skills that sort of translate, you know, across um, in, in telling people what to do, I guess. 
Um, so you're just but, a professional bossy person. I'm a professional bossy person, <laughs> but what I, I'm also, a, I'm also a messy person. Oh. And one of the things that I found is that all of the resources that existed in this sort of housekeeping universe existed for people who, who knew what they're doing and they were, and they were by people who were very good at it. Um, so you've got, you've got a couple different kinds of people. You've got naturally tidy people and they come at a problem like a messy house in one way. And then you've got people who are not naturally tidy. And that's, I would, I would venture to say that's a lot more of us, uh, than those naturally tidy people. And the approach just needed to be completely different. So, you know, looking at the resources that were out there already, they really assumed a lot. They assumed a lot about your abilities. They assumed a lot about your level of organization, um, the amount of time that you could invest in cleaning your home. So what I wanted to do was to make a resource for everybody else um, from somebody who has been there. You know, it's, I'm not a naturally tidy person. I work at keeping things clean. You know, I've always been kind of a messy person, mm-hmm. you know, and I've, I've come to develop ways to deal with that, that I think other people who are also messy people could, could really benefit from. Do you think that unnaturally tidy people can transform into naturally tidy people? It sounds like the answer is kind of that you wouldn't necessarily say you've transformed and now you're a naturally tidy person. You just are working at your, your tidy as an unnatural tidy person. Right. I think it's, I think it's the difference being is that for people who are sort of born with this, it's not a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, it you know, it comes it. very easily and they enjoy it. A lot of mm-hmm. times they enjoy it. You know, my perspective is for me, it's always going to be work. You know, I'm always working at it and most of the time it sucks. <laughs> so, you know, you don't find a lot of housekeeping resources that will just flat out stipulate, Hey, this sucks. So for me, getting past that and, and being able to reach people where they are instead of where I think they should be, that's what's important to me. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, acknowledging that it, that for some people, myself included, it's always going to be work. You know, it helps to kind of reframe how you look at the problem. Yes. That's exactly what I help people do with eating healthfully. I acknowledge it. Yeah, it might suck, but here are ways to make it not suck rather than just be like, what? It's awesome to like choose kale over cheeseburgers. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's blissful. Like that's not real, you know, and it's definitely about changing your perspective. So I just, that's why I've gravitated so much towards your message and your mission and your work, because you do acknowledge like you're not presenting like what you don't have this perfect life. Like what's wrong with you? Like, here's how you become perfect. You're like, okay, this kind of is a bummer, but here's how to like knock it out. So you feel better in your home. Right. And that's, I think that's a big part of it is, you know, when you're, you're looking at all of these aspirational pictures and websites and, you know, Instagram is the worst for that, you know, and you think everyone else in the world has their shit together. Yes. You know, everyone else is good at this stuff. And I want people to see, no, that's not true. Like we're all kind of struggling at it and that's normal and that's fine. And there are ways to work through it without having to have this Instagram perfect home, you know, your home is is unique to you, whether it's, you know, whether you own a house, whether you have roommates in an apartment, whether you live in a dorm room, whether you live at home with your parents, whatever your situation is, you know, your home should be somewhere that you're comfortable. 
and that you enjoy being, but it's not going to be like everybody else's. So I, I try to help people see, you know, where you are can always be better and it can make you happy and you can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not completely out of reach, which I think when you're sort of dealing with these, these beautiful spaces and all of these, you know, very staged kind of pictures, mm-hmm. you feel like I'm never going to achieve that. So I like to show people there are things you can achieve. You can definitely do it. Right. I mean, and to that point, a lot, like you said, a lot of it's staged, a lot of that stuff that makes us feel bad about our homes, you know, is not real. I know a lot, a lot, a lot of like food bloggers that will go do their kitchen photo shoots in a someone, their friend's much nicer kitchen, or they'll rent (laughs) a fake, like a studio kitchen space and bring in their, you know, their stuff and pretend like this is their kitchen. And that's not real. And that stuff makes you feel inferior and like your kitchen sucks or whatever. Right. And it's it's all very, you know, it's all very staged. It's all very curated. Yeah. People choose what they want you to see in, in these these pictures. And especially, you know, when you're looking at a lot of you know, websites that focus on home organization or home decorating and everything matches and everything is beautifully, you know, organized and there's all this great natural light and, you know, almost nobody lives that reality. Mm-hmm when you're looking at those pictures and saying, Oh gosh, you know, that's never going to be my reality. You tend to want to give up mm-hmm. and say, well, if I'm never going to get there, then why should yeah, I try it's it so all? far out of reach? Why even bother? You know? And what I want to see is people say, okay, you know, I don't love my home right now, but maybe I can down the road, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's never going to look like that picture, but it's going to make me happy. So, you know, my, my job is to sort of guide people into getting there. That's awesome. So how did you come up with your approach? I mean, your approach to decluttering has been described as Marie Kondo meets Thug Kitchen, which is literally the dream description of anything. Um, (laughs) So how, if you don't even have a background in organization, you're not like a professional organizer or interior designer, how did you come up with this awesome approach to decluttering? Like, did you have a come to Jesus moment with unfucking your life? (laughs) You know, it's been, it's been really more of a long-term journey than anything. And I try to take the things that I found that work for me and make them accessible to everybody else. So, you know, one of the the primary things about Unfuck Your Habitat is the 2010. And what that is, is it's 20 minutes of cleaning followed by a 10 minute break. And it seems really simple. It's, It's Pomodoro technique. It's nothing, you know, groundbreaking, but, you know, people don't always apply it to you know, keeping your house in order. Right. And for me, what I found is that little bit of a break in between cleaning really helps to keep it very manageable. You know, you don't feel overwhelmed because you know that there's an end point in sight. Um, you know, you set your timer and when that timer goes off, you can be done. But what if it's still a mess? What if like you are like, I'm going to clean my closet now for 20 minutes and like 20 minutes, your timer goes off and all your clothes are like on your bed. So that's why the 2010 is great because you take your 10 minute break and then you go back to work. Gotcha. So, you know, you you take your 10 minutes and you can either, you know, mess around on the internet or, you know, watch a little bit of TV Mm -hmm. or listen to, you know, some, a podcast. Um, Although I like to listen to podcasts while I'm actually cleaning, Mm -hmm. but whatever that break looks like for you, you know, take the dog for a walk or (laughs) yeah, have a snack and a cup of tea, whatever that is. And then you can start over again. And, and the beauty of 2010s is you can keep doing them until you're done or you can keep doing them until you don't want to anymore. So it's breaking a big project down into kind of bite-sized, more manageable chunks of time that have a definite end point. So 
you don't feel like you've got this massive project that you have to do everything. You know, we call that marathon cleaning. Basically, if you save up all of your house cleaning for one day or one weekend or whatever it is, and that's the only thing you do, you know, you clean your house top to bottom, you don't take any breaks. That's it. You did the marathon. And it's the worst. Like, that's why people hate cleaning, because that's what they think cleaning is. Yes. You know, they think it's this big, huge undertaking that, you know, takes over your entire life and you don't have time to do anything else. And, you know, you're giving up your little tiny bit of free time to do this thing that is not fun. And, you know, I try to reframe that to say, okay, if that's how you're looking at cleaning, no wonder you hate it. If you can instead say, okay, every day I'm going to do maybe one, two or three 2010s just to kind of keep things in order then you don't have to do that giant clean at the end of the week because you've been keeping up with it the whole time. I love that. It's like interval training versus long distance running. Exactly. exactly. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Oh, that's smart. That's funny. So would you say for somebody, you know, that they could just do one like 2010 chunk for like one room of their house? So, So if it's like bathroom day, maybe just do like three 2010 chunks to like organize the bathroom and then call it a day and like next week hit a different area. Do you also suggest people kind of move through their house by different areas? I think, you know, it, it really is going to depend person to person what's going to work for, e- for each individual person. So, you know, some people need to have a task fully completed before they can move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And some people really benefit to having the overall mess just decreased a little bit. So, oh. you know, for me, I find if I do like one twenty ten in the bathroom and then I do one in the kitchen and then I do one in the bedroom, you know, overall, everything's a lot neater. Sure, one room might not be sparkling top to bottom, but I've made a, a significant dent. You know, there's there's a lot of perfectionism that's wrapped up in, in mm-hmm. housekeeping and, you know, living in your environment. And it's difficult because perfection's never going to happen. And, you know, you're setting yourself up to be disappointed and to, and to feel bad and to feel like you're not doing enough if, you know, nothing is going to be good enough except 100% done. So, you know, I like to try to encourage people to acknowledge that, you know, you may have only gotten 15% better, but you know what, you're better off than where you were 20 minutes ago. So, you know, take that as a win. Don't, don't take that as a failure because you didn't do it all. Right. Well, as in your words, you say we should embrace a little at a time-ism. Mm-hmm. What, what does that mean? There's a lot of, you know, housekeeping systems that say, you know, you should do everything all at once, you know, make it a big thing and then you'll be done and you never have to do it again. And for me, you know, if I picture pulling everything out of my closet to sort through and, and figure out what I'm keeping and what's going and, and, you know, making sure that that's the only thing I'm working on until it's done. I know myself and I know that in a couple of hours, I'm going to be sitting on my bedroom floor surrounded by clothes, probably sobbing about how terrible it is because it's too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little bit, if I say, okay, I'm going to go through 10 items of clothing and make decisions on those 10 items and then do that. And then I can be done. You know, I haven't taken everything out of my closet. I'm not surrounded by my mess. I'm doing just a little bit, but I'm 10 items closer to being done than I was before. So, you know, I think it's a shift in thinking that, you know, the sort of all or nothing approach, it can be damaging to people. It can be very difficult and it makes you feel like a failure if you don't do everything. So by breaking it down and by embracing just a little bit at a time, you know, you can sort of build on your own success and you can see the difference that you're making as you're making it rather than having this really dramatic, you know, everything got done all at once. 
and it's a little bit more sustainable yeah. that way as well. You know, it's easier to keep up with if you're just doing short bits of work at a time because you're not exhausting yourself. You're not devoting this huge amount of time to it. You're not, you know, letting it take over your life for a day or a weekend or whatever, but you're, you're just taking what you can manage to do and just doing that much. And that's, and that's great. Like you've done that. That's awesome. Yeah. It's like everything you're saying is exactly the same as what I say about healthy eating, that it's not about all or nothing. And that if you have that mentality, then anytime you don't, you eat a French fry, you're going to beat yourself up and that's just not productive. And it's the same thing with this. And also to your point about like, you know, the whole idea of taking every single thing out of your closet and then not being able to sleep till you put everything where it should be. Um, I did that because I know Marie Kondo suggests you do that. I took everything out and I'm sitting there and I'm like, does this spark joy? And towards like the end, like probably like the fourth hour of me sitting there, like sparking joy or not, I ended up getting rid of things that I think about all the time. There's one pair of pants that I was just so burnt out. I was like, this doesn't spark joy. And I got rid of them. And I like think about them all the time and how I miss them (laughs) and a sweater. And I'm so bummed. So I totally, totally hear you about like doing little chunks because I do think like food, you know, if you try to be perfect and take on everything all at once, like that's just not sustainable and you're not going to end up making like the best choices. Right. And I think, you know, like you said with, um, you know, Marie Kondo that the sort of attacking one category at a time until it's done, that really works for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people have had great success with that. And that's great. I think, you know, everyone should use whatever system speaks to them. But for a lot of people, that can be really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. You know, the thought of doing all of that at once, and then you end up, you know, kind of where you were, where, (laughs) you've been doing it and you're, you're frustrated and you're just kind of done, you know, because you've been doing it for so long and you can't rest until it's done. Yeah. And so for you, probably, you know, that approach might not be the most productive for the way that you work or mm-hmm. for the way that you think. So, you know, maybe looking at it as, okay, you know, this weekend, I'm going to go just 10 items at a time and figure out what I'm doing, but then take your breaks in between or, or, you know, go out for lunch in between and, and, you know, don't make that the focus of your entire life. Yeah. Some people, that's how they work. They have to have it completed before they can consider it, you know, better at all. And that's, there's a lot of people like that, but there's no one approach that works for everybody. So, you know, my little bits and pieces approach, I think speaks to a lot of people who do get overwhelmed by that, that big project. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. So what is unfucking your habitat? Like, what does that mean? And and what's the goal with it? How did you come up with that wording? You know, the habitat part of it was always really important to me because, you know, looking at the resources that existed, you know, when I started doing this, it was, like I said, there were a lot of assumptions. And one of the primary assumptions is that, you know, you live with your nuclear family in your home that you own. And, you know, that is not everybody's reality. So the habitat part of it was, you know, wherever you are, you know, wherever you live, that's, that's your habitat, that's your environment. So that's going to look different for everybody, whether, you know, you're living in a house with your spouse and kids, whether you're, you know, renting an apartment and you've got roommates, Mm -hmm. or like I said, if you're living at home with your parents. I love that. It's so inclusive. Yeah. Right. And something that's tailored to people who, you know, it's a husband and a wife and two kids in a house that they own that's not going to work if that's not your reality. So So the habitat part of it is just to be like, you know, this is, 
wherever you are, you can make that your home. You know, you don't have to wait for something else. You don't have to wait for to live in a house. You don't have to wait, you know, until your life is, is whatever you think it's going to end up. You can do it right now. Um, and as far as, as far as unfucking, you know, my, my whole thing about it is, you know, there are sometimes you just walk in your door and you kind of look around and you go, wow, this is completely fucked. Yeah. And, you know, and, and sometimes that's your, your reality of it. And so the unfucking is, first of all, it's a, it's a bit of a shorthand to show that it's, I don't take it as seriously. Yes. You know, it's, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more rough, you know, than, than a lot of, it's a little less precious. And I think the title is just a very, it's a very easy way to sort of see that, you know, yeah. I, I do get pushed back about the profanity, but you know, it happens. Yeah. Well, I had Sarah Knight on the author of the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck. So we are just full of it on this show. <laughs> Live, living the F-bomb life here. Yes, we are. <laughs> well, on your website, you know, you say that nothing can't be unfucked. You just have to do it. You just have to overcome the compulsion to sit on the couch, on the computer, watching TV and get up and do something. I mean, again, it just sounds like you're this like bossy, motivational cheerleader. (laughs) Bossy is not an enduring term. So let's say motivational cheerleader. That's just like you can have a clean house you know, or right. I mean, it sounds like this isn't, there's not even so much of a system as it is just like, just do it. That's a big part of it. You know, there's a system, but it's a very adaptable one. Mm-hmm. It's a very flexible, you know, and part of it too is, you know, while a lot of it, a lot of people who seek out on fuck your habitat or they are lazy, you know, it's just, you don't have the motivation. You don't want to do it. But I also want to be able to speak to people who can't for various reasons, Um, you know, people who may have, um, you know, disabilities or chronic illness, mental illness, um, chronic pain, any of the things that act as an obstacle, um, you know, because a lot of people who are in these situations, you've been told you're lazy your whole life, but you're not. It's, it's a, it's a matter of ability. It's a matter of energy. It's a matter of, um, what you can physically do on any given day. Um, so, I like to meet people where they are, you know, so for, for those of us who are just kind of lazy about it and, and don't want to get up and do something, then that's one approach. You know, it's a little bit more drill sergeanty, like, you know, okay, come on, get up, do it. You know, excuses are boring. Let's go. Uh-huh. But also acknowledging that for a lot of people, there are reasons rather than excuses. Um, you know, there are reasons that they can only do so much. And to those people, it's about saying, okay, let's look at what those limitations are. Let's look at how you can work with them or around them and come up with a system that's not going to make you feel like a failure because you can't do everything all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so to show people that you can make a difference, you can make improvements, even if you're dealing with things that would normally get in your way and, and, and prevent you from, from making you know, these big improvements. So just, again, reframing how we look at you know, our our living situations and why we're in them and why they are the way they are, you know, so there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of like, you know, get up, get off the computer, you know, my big thing is put your phone down for five Mm -hmm. minutes. And and because the internet is still going to be there. Yeah, (laughs) it's still going to be there. Come back. But also, you know, I try to have compassion and understanding for people who who are in a situation where, you know, it's not necessarily their choice not to be doing this stuff, um, mm-hmm. you know, that there are legitimate reasons, but there's no reason that anyone 
in that situation should be left out. You know, there's, there's no reason that there shouldn't be a system that is adaptable to whatever circumstances you're in because we're all people, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of different, just like there's a lot of different living environments, living, you know, situations and habitats. There's a lot of different ways to interact with those habitats based on what the reality of your life is. So, you know, I, I try to find a balance between that, that sort of, bossy, you know, motivational, you know, cheerleader and this, this more, you know, understanding, you know, these are the things that people are dealing with in their everyday lives. So how do we incorporate that? And how do we make this accessible to people who have traditionally not been able to access these kinds of resources? Right. Well, what are some of those starting places that really anybody can, you know, do to start unfucking their habitat or tidying it up. Well, I'm I'm a big fan of making the bed. Oh, which, um, is actually the number <laughs> one thing that I get probably the yeah the most the most pushback about though. Because, really, um, pushback? Yeah, people people are very yeah people are very anti making their beds. Um, really, and I think a lot of that stems from you know when you're a kid. Yeah, it's kind of you're like, like punished. a chore. Yeah, or a punishment. Uh huh. Um, like if you don't so, make your bed. But, blah, 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 blah. Exactly. Exactly. So for me though, making your bed, it just immediately makes the room look neater. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter That's what true. else is going on, if you have a made bed, it's it's going to feel a lot cleaner than it than it necessarily is. <laughs> you know, it's a very very quick kind of habit. You know. People always want to make it more involved than it is. Like my making my bed takes me less than a minute, like maybe two if I have to. Wait, what you do know. people do to like make it more involved? I, I'm not really sure, but it's, it always <laughs> seems like, you know, everyone wants to make it this big like hospital corners, you know, <laughs> really get involved thing. And it's just like pull up your sheets and your blanket and arrange your pillows. And, and that's that, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be this big thing, but because it's such a quick habit, it's something that you can pick up fairly quickly. It's something that you can, you know, do pretty easily. It's not a major time investment. And once you're, you've gotten that habit, other habits become easier to build on as well. So, you know, another thing that I think makes a big difference for people, it's what I call sink zero. So basically before you go to bed every night, there's nothing in your sink, Mm. um, which, you know, it's kind of like the concept of inbox zero, you know, trying to get to (laughs) inbox, but it's with your sink. Sink zero. Sink zero. So sink zero, you know, it's a pain before you go to bed if you're dealing with all the dishes in your mm-hmm. sink. But let me tell you, when you wake up it's the best. and you go into your kitchen and there's nothing <laughs> in your sink, that feels like a big accomplishment. It really does. I agree. And the more that you do it, the easier it gets. So if you're really keeping up on it, then, you know, sure, the first week of sink zero might be terrible because, you know, you're, you're dealing with a backlog and it's hard to get into the habit. But once you're in the habit, you know, it's just a couple of things every night before you go to bed to either wash or put it in the dishwasher or whatever, you know, your situation is. And it, it makes a big difference because dishes to me are one of those things that it's a mess that draws in other mess. Yes. When you've got dirty dishes, then everything else kind of then your counters get overrun. And then, you know, the trash needs to be taken. I just feel like dishes are sort of a, a focal point. And if those are dealt with, everything else becomes easier to deal with. I love that so much. Sink zero. That is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Do you have other ones? These are amazing. Just making your bed sink zero. <laughs> do you have anything else sink zero. for like these, um, like little um, cute things? Uh, don't put it down. Put it away is another oh. big one, um, which you know sounds pretty straightforward. But if you think about it, you know you do the target run and you come back and you've got like 
you know, stuff. 10 bags worth of stuff because yeah. it's physically impossible to leave Target without 10 bags of stuff. <laughs> but, you know, you come home and you put most things away, but there's always that one bag that's got some stuff in it that you haven't quite gotten around to putting things away. Mm-hmm. Or you come home from work or from school and you kick your shoes off inside the door yep. rather than taking them back to your closet. Or, um, you know, you just kind of drop the mail on the counter and you don't deal with it. And then all of a sudden you've got mail taking over your entire house. What is Um, wrong with us as people? (laughs) I mean, I'm just like, it is so hard to do the things you're saying to do right now. Like, I don't understand why it is such a pain in the ass to instead of like put my shoes in the shoe area, which is by my front door. Like it's like, <laughs> like, like a few inches. It just requires like a bend down and a scoot. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that right now. I will do it later. Like why? Right, and what is wrong with us? <laughs> I don't know that it's necessarily something wrong with us so much as it is. That's that. Those are our habits. That's the, that's the habit that we've developed. Like a burden. <laughs> you know, and it's because, because, you know, we see one is easy and one is difficult, you know, kicking your shoes off is easy, putting them away is difficult. And when you really think about it, you know, I, I like to tell people to time themselves, time how long it takes you to do something, uh-huh. you know, time how long it takes you to put a load of laundry away, because right. that's a big one. That's always been a big, one. you know, either the laundry's still in the dryer, or it's in the laundry basket, or it's in the pile on the chair or wherever <laughs> it happens to land. Do you, are you st- uh, well, creeping kind of on me. Figure, you know, <laughs> everybody has that chair. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's 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 a matter of like if okay, so I'm gonna set my timer. You know, I timed putting away two loads of laundry averages me like nine to mi- eleven minutes. Wow. You know, so te- it's ten minutes. And I will put it <laughs> I will put it off for weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's because crazy. it just seems so <laughs> overwhelming, so difficult. Oh my god. And you know, as soon as I know that it takes me on average ten minutes, then that task becomes a lot easier to deal with. You know, the difference between kicking your shoes off and putting them away is probably negligible. It's literally probably five seconds, two seconds. Yeah. For some reason, you have this 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 block that says, okay, Man. kicking them off is easy and putting them away is difficult, so I'm going to do the easy thing. So when you realize that putting them away is also easy, mm-hmm. you just have to continually make that choice. But after you make that choice a bunch of times, that becomes your new habit rather than the kicking them off and leaving them where they are. So it's just a matter of changing our habits, you know, realizing that all of these things that we think are really, really difficult are not, Mm -hmm. you know, they're very, very easy. You know, a big one for me is, you know, the almost every household, no matter what it looks like, will have this one, putting the new roll of toilet paper on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because it seems oh I don't know God. why that is insane. It's like <laughs> this talk about it. Like, okay, this is such a difficult thing to do. Like, it takes no time. Ours at doesn't all. even clasp. Ours is like a free floating <laughs> thingy, and we still stack it on top. And it's, oh, you know, but then and you think about it when you put it on top, it's not easy to use. No. You know, you can't just you can't just grab it and roll and unroll it. It's not aesthetically um, pleasing. So it's actually it's creating more work for you to to do it. The, the kind of lazy way. But because that's the habit that we've gotten into, that's what we think is the better way to do it or the easier way to do it. So taking the time to rebuild those habits into something that's a little bit more productive without being more time intensive will help to keep things under control. Because if you think about it, if you think about, you know, don't put it down, put it away. How much of our mess is 
created by things that we just set down when we're done with them. I mean, like a, most like of it, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, what else? <laughs> what? Yeah. It's all of it. You know, so it's just a series of choices that you make one way or the other. So, you know, like for me, emptying the dishwasher, it takes three minutes, three to four minutes, you know, I, cause I time everything and <laughs> it just seems like such a, a difficult thing to do in such a massive undertaking right. when how much more time do we waste by opening the dishwasher, taking out the one thing that you need, closing the dishwasher, you know, then everything piles up in the sink while you're, you know, waiting to have the dishwasher emptied, but you're taking stuff out one at a time. And you're actually creating so much more work for yourself by not doing it. It's so I don't want to say right, but by not doing it, you know, in the first place that, you know, you think you're taking the easy way out, but you're actually just creating so much more for you to do down the line. So, you know, I, I talk about it as, as, you know, present you and future you. Mm -hmm. So if present you takes just a couple of seconds to do whatever that, you know, kind of tedious task happens to be, future you is going to benefit. Future you is not going to have to marathon clean because present you is helping to prevent the mess in the first place. It's amazing. I love that. That's so inspiring and so hilarious and so universal. I really appreciate how you keep mentioning that this is about habits and you know, I think you're right. I mean, but they still feel like choices and you did, you know, you've emphasized that they're choices and maybe that's what it's about too. Why sometimes we choose to not do it because I mean, I've read that you really only have a certain amount of like mental stamina in a day and uh, only enough like decision-making ability for one day. And if you, you know, are working a really tough day and you made all these choices, you chose a healthy lunch, a chose a healthy snack, made a lot of important choices at work about your job or whatever, or chose a good route home that saved you some time, chose a good outfit. I'm pretty sure we like, don't have like we can max out on our ability to make choices so maybe that's part of why when we get home we're like I do not want to move the shoes over there like I'm not going to make that choice I'm just going to do the easiest thing in the entire world right well there's this really really fascinating concept called spoon theory I don't know if you're familiar with spoon theory at all um but it's it's a way of looking at um chronic illness and it's basically like in the beginning of the day, you're allotted a certain number of spoons and different tasks. You know, I'm not sure why spoons was the, the metaphor that was used, but, you know, I think the person was maybe like in a diner or a restaurant or something. Um, but you're, you're given this finite number of spoons to work with for that day. And doing certain things takes up a certain amount of those. So you may have to make choices that, OK, I'm not going to do this thing because it'll take five spoons, but I will do this thing because it only takes two because you have to sort of ration out your your energy and your ability to do things. And, you know, for me, what I look to do is to help people be able to make those small choices that actually don't cost them more spoons. You know, that, that you know, it's, it's something that you can do that's a very small, you know, which is why the big undertakings, the big project cleaning doesn't work for a lot of people because yeah. they just don't have the energy to expend Got on no that. more spoons. So, exactly. Out of spoons. When you're, <laughs> and when you're out of spoons, that's it. You don't get any more until, until the next time they reset the next day. So it's a matter of making choices that not only won't tax you in the present, but will also prevent you from having to spend more time in the future. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you say, okay, well, you know, I'm dealing... Sync zero, you know, if, if you're dealing with sync mm -hmm. zero and it's it's five minutes every day at the end of the day, 
then you don't have that two hour dealing with it, you know, at one time because it's never gotten to that point. So, you know, you're expending a little bit more energy now, but saving yourself so much more down the road. It's so Um, true. So the point that I think I'm trying to make is that we think things take a lot more time and energy than they might actually do. So, you know, I want people to sort of examine the reality of that, which is why I suggest, you know, time, time things, time, long projects take, you know, because you'll be surprised. And, you know, when people say with, with 2010s, people are always like, oh, how much can you really get done in 20 minutes at such a short period of time? You'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. You'd be really surprised what you can accomplish in 20 minutes. And, you know, one of the other things besides setting a timer that I encourage people to do is before and after pictures. Oh, I love before and after pictures because sometimes it's difficult when you're in the middle of the project to see the progress that you've made. So if you have a clear picture of where you started out and you can compare where you are to that and then, you know, when it's finally done taking that after picture, the after picture is great because it's tangible proof that you did this, you know, you accomplished this thing, that you're capable of accomplishing this thing and that you know, if sometime down the road, you've sort of lapsed back into old habits and, and, you know, everything feels overwhelming, you can look at that picture and say, okay, I did it that time, Mm -hmm. I can do it again. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think before and afters are very, you know, they're very satisfying in general. I mean, makeover pictures, all of that. It's all very satisfying. Yeah. So I got to ask you, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips for creating and maintaining a clean, usable, accessible, efficient kitchen? Oh, kitchens. Kitchen. Um, well, I think with kitchens, a lot of um, a lot of difficulty is, you know, storage. Uh-huh. You know, there's a lot of people don't have a ton of storage and the storage that you have may not make sense for what you do. So, you know, I, I encourage people to look at how they interact with their space. Look at the things that you use all the time. Look at the things you don't use very much and sort of tailor your storage solutions accordingly. So, you know, my giant KitchenAid stand mixer comes out a couple times a year, you know, so doesn't need to be left on the counter. Exactly. It was taking up valuable real estate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I moved it to a a closet that's not even in my kitchen because I figured a couple times a year I need it. I can just lug it out of there and bring it, bring it over. And storing things near where you use them makes a big difference as well. I had a friend who had this beautiful, like giant pantry and, you know, it just, it didn't work because they were always going back and forth from the pantry. So she ended up switching where her pantry was and her, and her dishes were. So the dishes ended up in the pantry and the food oh. ended up in the cabinets. And it worked, you know, mm. it, it, it worked so much better because it's, there's no, you know, one size fits all solution for people, especially, you know, in, in kitchens, it depends on how you use your space and, you know, what feels natural for, you know, if you're grabbing for measuring cups, like where's the most natural place for you to get those from? Mm. You know, are you, are you setting things up in a way that is saving you steps and energy and, and, you know, because the more inconvenient it is for you to get something, the less you're going to use it or the less you're going to put it away. Yeah. So, you know, if, so if your storage doesn't match how you use things, that's where your problem is going to be because it's going to be so much easier just to put everything on the counter Yes. rather than put it away. If, if the places to put it away don't make sense. Or even not cook because you're like, you know, you're like, I don't want to get this bowl out. I'm going to get delivery. Right. Exactly. 
Exactly. And, and, and that's Which, like, and is that's an actual it, it, true thing that's happened in my home. It, it, that is actually, <laughs> yeah, that's a true thing. <laughs> um, I wish that there were sort of a Band-Aid solution for, you know, to say, okay, this, this method will work for everybody. Mm-hmm. But it's really about how you interact with your space. And that's going, that's going to be different for every single person. So, yeah. um, you know, it's taking some time to be sort of thoughtful about where things go. I think is, is a, is a big thing. Cause when you have that foundation, everything else gets a lot easier. So keeping the counters clean becomes easier. Doing the dishes becomes easier, you know, keeping the fridge organized and clean becomes easier. So, you know, once you have that, that foundation in place, you're going to find, you know, it's not a pain to put away the dishwasher because everything is where it makes sense. So it's really about like looking, the first step for people listening is to just become aware, like take notice of like how convenient the things that you use routinely are for you right now and which things, you know, maybe as you're like, like for a week, you just have a piece of paper on your counter. And every time you want to get the kitchen equipment or a food, you just jot down like, oh, that was inconvenient. And then maybe at the end of the week, be like, let's rearrange the inconvenient things. Exactly. Like, you know, if you have the the one giant pan that you use for everything, you know, I think everybody's got that giant pan. Um, and, well, you know, if it's somewhere you have to store it on top of your refrigerator. So every time you want to get, you know, it's a big yeah. production to get it down and to use it. You know, if that's something that you're using on a near daily basis, it should be easier to get to. We just leave ours on our stove. Which, hey, lots of people do that. Yeah. Like, you know, if that's what is working for you, then... Rather than saying, okay, well, you know, well, that's clutter now on my, on my stovetop, but you know, this is a, it's functional. Yeah. It's usable. Yeah. If it's my KitchenAid stand mixer, which I use three times a year mm-hmm. and it's on my counter 365 days a year, that doesn't make any sense, yeah. you know, because uh, it's, it's in the way it's preventing me from using that space for other things, you know, so there's figuring out how you're working with your stuff and how you're living with your stuff will help you figure out how you need to organize it. Because the easier it is for you to get to, to put away, to interact with, the better off you're going to be because you're not trying to shove things into storage solutions that aren't right for you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's and it's not going to look the same for everybody. Well, thanks. Thanks for not giving us a specific answer on how we keep <laughs> so our sorry. kitchens clean. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Listen, listen, Sync Zero, Sync Zero helps a Sync lot. Sync Zero. So no, that is that is like an enormous <laughs> takeaway from this. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's the big one for me. What about any advice for keeping a home office organized? And I may or may not be asking this selfishly. <laughs> um, well, I think it's it's again, you know, how you use it, what you have. Um, accessible and also looking at it as more of an office than a home. Um, because, you know, a lot of times we'll sort of just see it as an extension of the rest of our home. And even if you've got just, just a desk, you know, if it's not a whole room or anything, if it's just, you know, a very small area, you know, I love those kind of converted closets that people do for home offices. I think that's, you know, incredibly creative. Yeah. It's like you just open up the closet and there's like, it's like a converted into an office, which is great. Oh my God. I have to um, Google that. What should I Google? But, but, Closet home office? Yeah. Give it a shot. Okay. Um, but, but, you know, keeping it as an office space and treating it as, you know, this is my workspace. This is separate from my home space. I think helps people to sort of delineate that from, you know, okay, well I have my office in the spare bedroom and it's turning into a storage area because I don't know where to put other stuff. And, you know, now I'm working in this overrun room with a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with my work. And, you know, I think that's 
it's what happens a lot when people work from home or when they work from home offices, the two areas aren't very clearly, you know, divided. Yeah. That you've got, so true. you know, you need to have home and you need to have work. And again, you know, if you're 90% of the time, if you're on your laptop, you know, that needs to be the focal point that needs to be what everything is built around. Right. You know, it doesn't make sense to have a writing desk if you don't do any writing. You know, mm-hmm. if you're primarily working with computers and you need to have your monitor set up, like that should be what you build the rest of the space around. You know, not everybody needs 50 million filing cabinets and, and, you know, desk blotters and all of these things that you think are associated. It's, it's, it's what you use. You know, I write a lot of times when I, I write on my laptop, I am on a couch, like I need mm-hmm. to be comfortable. So you know what, throw a couch in the home office, there you go. You know, that's my that's my workspace. And because it's productive for me, you know, some people may do better, you know, sitting at a desk at their at their laptop doing their work. But for me, my work style doesn't doesn't happen like that. So, you know, it's a matter of adjusting how I work and what I need from that space, you know, and, and sure, I have a filing cabinet, but you know, I don't know, paperwork is sort of over at this point, you know, there's not a lot of, of paperwork for people anymore. And mm-hmm. yet you still find these like, really elaborate filing systems that people <laughs> have, when it could really be, you know, one accordion file could pretty much handle everything that you need. But you need a more functional printer setup or, right. you know, you, you have to have a, a more comfortable work area so that you can spend more time doing the things that you need to do on your computer. So I think, what happens a lot is we build the space and then force ourselves to work within it rather than building the space around how we work. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. We come first, space comes second. Really take inventory uh-huh. of what you do and then uh-huh. design your life around what you use and what you don't. Right. And it's, you know, it's 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 sort of the same the same problem that we have, you know, you're trying to fit yourself into somebody else's idea yeah. of what a clean home looks like. And my idea of a clean home or what that needs to be for me is not the same as what it what it needs to be for somebody else. So really understanding that there is no one size fits all solution is kind of the basis of unfuck your habitat. Yeah, I love that. You can't apply the same solutions to everyone's problems. You know, there's a lot of different variables that go into it. So being able to see where you are, see what you're working with, see how you can work, and then tailor your approach so that it works for you. And you're not trying to, you know, put the the round peg in the square hole or (laughs) square peg in the round hole. (laughs) Um, You know, that you're that you're not trying to fit into somebody else's idea of what the right way to go about it is. You know, there's there's a lot of a lot of emotions that are associated with cleaning. And let me tell you, failure is way up there. Uh, failure and guilt. Mm. I was going to ask you about guilt. That was a question I had. There's a lot of negative emotion associated with cleaning. And that comes from a lot of different places. That comes from how you were raised, um, how you interacted with cleaning as a child and how your parents did. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes from, you know, outside pressures and outside perspectives like, you know, those Instagram pictures yeah, and the websites and all of that. There can be envy or jealousy about how other people live their lives or how you perceive them living their lives mm-hmm. and what their idea of a, of a nice, clean home looks like. So all of that negative emotion really affects how we how we interact with with cleaning and how we approach it. And, you know, 
what I like to do is to sort of examine why do we have these negative emotions around it? Where does it come from? You know, why are we so resistant to it? And that answer is going to be different for every person. But then also to understand that it doesn't have to be a negative emotion. It may never be a positive emotion. You know, (laughs) you may never be like, oh my God, I love cleaning. It's so great. It's the best thing. But you can at least get it to a nice neutral place where it's just something you do. Yeah, neutral is fine. Neutral is just like, okay, I don't love doing this, but it doesn't take very much time. So I'm just going to do it. And there's a lot of things that we, you know, that, that meet that criteria in our lives. Yeah. You know, but being able to separate out that negative emotion, figure out why it exists and how you can work around it. You know, that's a big part of it because if you're going into it with that anger or resentment or guilt or, you know, feelings of failure and you're not doing anything to address that part of it, the rest of it is not going to be easy. The rest of it is not going to be productive. I like to examine why as much as how when it comes to cleaning. Like, why do we feel the way that we do? And not just, you know, what are 10 steps to get your bathroom clean? Because, you know, the 10 steps to get your bathroom clean resources exist everywhere. You know, it's all pretty much the same advice. But to say, okay, why am I so resistant to putting my clothes away? You know, where does that come from? Is it because it takes too much time? Is it because, you know, I'm not comfortable unless I can see all of my stuff? Because that's a thing for people. Like they, they're very visual. They like to see heaven. It's got to be, you know, accessible and, and easily found. You know, is it because cleaning my room was a punishment when I was a kid? You know, because that's a huge part of it is, is I think parents really do a disservice to their kids when they use cleaning as a punishment, because that will color how you interact with cleaning for the rest of your life, because it's always going to seem like something negative. You did something wrong and now you have to clean. I got punished when I didn't clean. I didn't get it as a punishment, but I got shit when I kept my home messy. My mom was like, I'm so embarrassed. Don't you have pride? Why don't you have pride? And I'm like, what do you mean pride? I don't care if there's like clothes all over my floor. Like, I don't care. But now I think I'm developing that pride. Don't tell my mom. Kids are probably (laughs) not going to have that pride. It's not really a constructive way to, to get them involved in it. But the more that you, you know, this whole thing is about building habits. So the more that you make it a habit mm-hmm. and, you know, this is just something that we do, Ooh, I you like know, that. this is what we do. And as adults, how we approach cleaning too, if you've got kids in your home, they're going to pick up on that. So if you are miserable when you're cleaning, cleaning becomes a miserable task because that's what you're modeling. You're saying, mm-hmm. okay, this is, you know, I hate it. It's terrible. It's time consuming. It makes me grumpy. It makes me angry. It's true. We always had the frenzy clean for the cleaning person. Like the cleaning person was coming. Yeah. Yeah. At like 11 and at like 1030, we were all like sprinting around the house, like instructed on what area to tidy up. And I was like, why are we cleaning for the cleaning person? Right. (laughs) I'm having (laughs) horrible flashbacks right now. (laughs) All of this negative stuff, all of this negative emotion, it comes from somewhere, you know, and it's, it's not necessarily just from our parents, although that's a big part of it, but you know, the outside pressures and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these, these aspirational pictures that we see that it all contribute, you know, it's all mixed in there to make us feel bad. And, you know, cleaning doesn't have to be something that makes you feel bad. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be something that makes you feel kind of neutral, but once it's done, you'll probably feel pretty good about it. You know, once, once you've accomplished that and you look at it as a sense of accomplishment rather than I didn't do enough or I should have done more or it's not perfect, but you say, Hey, I did a lot. Like, you know, I've gone to bed for four nights in a row now with no dishes in my sink. Like that's amazing. That is amazing. You know, when was the last time that that happened? 
so learning to, to sort of celebrate the smaller things and to remove the negative emotion from it, I think is a big part of it. I love that. That's awesome. Are there any natural cleaning products that you're really into? I use vinegar, white vinegar for everything um, because it's super versatile. It's incredibly cheap, which is a big one for me because, you know, I think another aspect of cleaning, one of the sort of negative things that we associate with it is you have to get all these specialty products and Mm -hmm. it's a major, you know, money investment and you have to have one product for each job. Um, and that's not necessarily true. Honestly, there's not much you can't get clean with hot water, white vinegar, like baking soda and dish soap. Like those big four can tackle almost anything. You know, there might be specialty products that work a little bit faster or um, more efficiently. But for the most part, you don't have to make this big investment in all of these products. You can you can use what you have on hand. And let me tell you, a gallon jug of white vinegar is so useful. You can use it for pretty much anything. You know, I I use a spray bottle that's like white vinegar, hot water, and like a little glug of dish soap. And that you can clean your shower with, you can clean your counters with, you can clean the inside of your oven with. Like there's there's so many different things, you know, but vinegar is so, so useful. You know, there's there's a million resources with all of the thousands of things that you can do with vinegar. Um, Plus I have pets. So for Mm -hmm. me, you know, it's a concern um, with what my pets can get into. So you know, I use a steam mop um, with just hot water and steam to do my floors 99% of the time. Um, you know, I'll do a deep clean with an actual cleaner once in a while. But for the most part, that steam mop is super efficient. And I don't have to worry about anything getting on my dog's paws or, mm-hmm. you know, having to wait for stuff to, to dry or dissipate before it's safe to be around. Um, you know, I'm not of the opinion that, you know, quote unquote, chemicals are bad because everything is chemicals, you know, <laughs> everything that exists is a chemical in some form or another. Um, and, you know, the the natural cleaning products, you know, I think to an extent, people sort of can go overboard with that a little bit. Um, you know, we're really the basics will do just fine. You know, the, mm-hmm. the basics are, are very useful. You know, you can also get like a, a big thing of just straight ammonia, which is useful for a lot of things too. Although I don't like to use it too much because it, it's strong. Yeah. Um, but, but I like there, the vinegar better. Be, I like vinegar better too. Yeah. Um, but there doesn't need to be like, you know, you don't have to open up underneath your sink and have 50 different bottles of things, you know, to clean your house with, you can have three or four and, and that's, that's fine. That's plenty. Like a, a big thing of all purpose cleaner. We just have one Myers all purpose cleaner and that's all we use. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much that. Yeah. I mean, whether it's, you know, big thing of Mr. Clean or, or Myers or whatever, you know, the, the dollar store has, has stuff to like, you know, it, there's not one right product for all situations. There's a lot of things you can use, you know, soap is for the most part soap, you know, it's something that is vinegar based or ammonia based or, you know, whatever that is. It's all the same with with just small tweaks to it. So, you know, there's this perception that you have to have the best products and the, you know, the newest things and the most, you know, groundbreaking cleaners and, and you have to have a million of them. And, and that's, that's not true. You know, uh, baking soda, vinegar, hot water, keeping soap. it simple, keeping it clean. Yeah, those, those Literally right there. <laughs> okay. Well, what about eating plants? I have a few final eating plants questions for you. Okay. Okay. I, I'm, I'm not a super expert, but I will, uh, I will see what I can do. Okay. 
Do you have a favorite restaurant where you go and eat good plants? Oh boy. So there's, um, there's a local place, uh, near me called the shanty okay. and it's, um, they, they use all local ingredients from local places. They have a lot of really innovative dishes. Uh, they, they do a really great job with, you know, getting me to try things that I wouldn't normally, um, my favorite salad is actually from there. It's a, a it's a bacon and Brussels salad and they do their, their Brussels sprouts are like amazing, which is not a sentence I thought I would ever say in my life. Um, but the way that they do them is so, so good. And, and, you know, that's the kind of thing that's going to entice me to eat a salad is, is how there's bacon. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, if there's, if there's bacon is a big part of it, but, um, but also, you know, that the flavors are interesting and, um, you know, the way that they do it is, is something different and something new. So, uh, yeah, I think that that would get my vote cool. for, for, the the place most likely to get me interested in eating healthy. <laughs> All right. Nice. What's your favorite plant to eat? Oh. Oh boy. Um Yikes, you're stumping me here. Um, it could be like an <laughs> apple, a banana, a carrot. I'm more like a fruit enthusiast than veggies, I guess. Um and I love bananas. I love strawberries. I love peaches. Mm. Um mangoes. Mangoes are a big one for me. Cool. Um, Love my and I guess yeah, I guess if I have to pick if I had to pick veggies, I love things that crunch. Like I love uh raw carrots and um sugar snap peas are my favorite. We used to grow those in my garden growing up. Nice. Um and I really like those. So yeah, I mean there's there's enough. I guess I just haven't really put a ton of thought into it, but there's some plants that I like to eat. For sure. What is your most used kitchen tool? Oh boy. Um definitely not your mixer. (laughs) No, not my mixer. Um Honestly, I use my I use my blender a lot. Mm-hmm. What is a book besides your own that has inspired you in some awesome way? Well, I think um, I've been reading a lot of Roxane Gay lately, um, and she has a lot of great writing about how we look at ourselves, how we look at each other. You know, she, she does a lot of uh, feminist writing, which is really important to me. You know, because I try to come to what I do from a very um, sort of modern and gender neutral perspective you know so she's she's a writer who has really spoken to me in a lot of different ways I I mean I read a lot I I read a lot of things so it's tough for me to to narrow things down as far as what's inspired me because I try to take inspiration from everything that I read you know there's something in, in every book and there's something in everything that I consume that way that I think speaks to me and and inspires me to do some part of what I do a little bit better well, that's great. Well, let's talk about your book. Where should people go to get it, read it, and learn more about you and on how do they can unfuck their habitats? Well, it's available pretty much anywhere. So I, you know, I always like to encourage people to go to their local, you know, independently owned bookstores and and check it out there or ask them to order it. Um, there's a bunch of links on my website uh, to places that it can be found online if that's easier for people and ebook versions and things like that. Um, so, you know, it's And your it's, website is unfuckyourhabitat. Yep, unfuckyourhabitat.com. Okay. And, you know, that also has a lot of the resources that we've been talking about, you know, what's a 2010 and 60 and things what 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 we're all about. So, Great. Um, you know, that's there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways, you know, and and like I said, we've got the Facebook page and you can find me on Twitter too and all those, all those places that people like to hang out. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing some of your tidy wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. Great. Thanks so much for having me. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. Dude, this sink zero thing, it's going down. It is going so down. I'm about to sink zero like nobody's sink zeroed before. I hope you'll join me, unless you already do that, in which case, fine, good job, way to rub it in. Know someone else who might want to hop on the sink zero train or whom you want to lovingly encourage to not ruin their kid's experience with cleaning forever? Then share this episode with them. I can't stop laughing about how ridiculously universally hard it is for us to replace the toilet paper rolls. I mean, really? What is wrong with us as a society that replacing our super soft, clean, ripple, aloe-added freaking toilet paper is a hard task? I'm embarrassed for us, and I'm especially embarrassed for myself because I don't often replace the TP, and if you peek at the show notes, you'll see my literally couldn't be more simple slide on, slide off TP holder and be embarrassed for me. For a pick of my TP holder, because that's where our relationship has apparently now gone, and tips Rachel shared in this episode, plus a heck of a lot more that takes the hell out of healthy living, head to partyinmyplants.com slash 80.